Welcome back to the Coaches Rising podcast. Today I'm joined by Linda Cesara and Linda is somebody that I've been hearing about over the years from different coaches that I've met and they're saying, oh, I've been working with this lady, really deep, powerful work, energy work. And so I was always asking, who is that? And so I kept hearing Linda's name. So I'm really pleased to be able to bring Linda onto the podcast. Linda runs trainings for coaches and facilitators on harnessing energy in your work with Mobius Leadership. And this was a fascinating conversation, and I think this is such an important topic for coaches. So we're going to talk about what is energy and why is it important to work with it as a coach or a facilitator. We will explore the journey that Linda went on to learn about working with energy, including the remarkable experiences that she would have watching Catholic Mass. We'll talk about the basic energy process that she teaches coaches and uh, the reason for that. We'll talk about the work of Wilhelm Reich and masculine and feminine principles and how we can become aware of those. So there's a lot of richness in this conversation. Linda attended the Berkeley Psychic Institute in 1974 and the Heartsong Psychic Institute from 1975 to 77. She spent two years studying Christian mysticism before beginning shamanic practice in 1982, which has developed over the years to form the backbone of her method. She's been active in bodywork since 1975 till this day, and she's been teaching ongoing energy classes and workshops since 2001. And that all being said, let's dive in. Here is the podcast with Linda Cesara. Linda, it's wonderful to be with you today, and I feel privileged to be speaking with you, actually. Uh, I didn't find, I don't know if there was any, many other podcasts out there with you on them, but um, here we are today. How are you, how are you doing? Um, I'm doing well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you and a pleasure to talk about things that I don't normally get to talk about in this context. Mm. Yeah. And it's at the moment, you're the only podcast. Okay, right. I thought, <laughs> well, there we go. So <laughs> I'm, I'm very happy about that. And uh, It's interesting because your, your name keeps popping up. Um, when I talk to coaches, and over the years, the coaches have been like, oh, yeah, I'm training with this woman. She's amazing. And uh, her name's Linda. And so, uh, yeah, your name kept on popping up. And now here we are having a conversation. So we'll get into your work and what you're about and um, how that is relevant for coaches as well. But I think a good place to start is just to ask you, yeah, could you describe the kind of work you're doing, what are you teaching people and what are you doing with people? Yes. So the work that I'm doing is primarily a focus on energy. You could call energy chi. It's the substance that underlies um, everything in the physical world. And luckily, scientists are starting to measure it. There's Karelian photography. There's other things that have talked about it. Um, Bruce Lipton in the biology belief talks about it and the honeymoon effect. So there's um, scientists that are talking about chi. So our paradigm, science, is now noticing what civilizations have noticed since the dawn of time, which is we are electromagnetic fields that function on an energetic level that is normally not noticed. Um, we are unfortunate in our teaching because as children, we learn with our whole bodies. 
our physical instrument. And our physical instrument is an electromagnetic field that has an incredible, phenomenal intelligence. Um, Bruce Lipton says that the cognitive mind can process 40 bits of neuroinformation per second, and the unconscious body-mind can process 40 million bits of information per second. Now, that's astounding. So if we rely on our cognitive minds for our wherewithal and our interactions, we're missing the tremendous facility of this instrument we live in. So teaching people about chi, energy, um, sensitivity to what we normally don't notice is particularly helpful because we all do it all day long, all the time, and we're not trained in it. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. Um, I, I can feel myself wanting to ask all about the connection of energy to the body and, and how we can kind of begin to attune to it. But I first want to ask, how did you get into this work? Like how, could you tell us a bit about your journey to learning to work with energy, to recognize energy? Yes. So in high school, I'm primarily kinesthetic, not visual, a little bit auditory, but mostly kinesthetic. And where I grew up in Florida, nobody touched anybody. That wasn't what was done. And so I started massaging people in high school. They liked it. I liked it. It provided an avenue for kinesthetic engagement. And then I went to college. And in college, my college was an experimental college, new college in Sarasota, Florida. And if it didn't work out, they were going to turn it into a motel. So we didn't have many student services. So a number of us bonded together and we massaged each other to kind of organize within this interesting framework. Then in college, I went to Mexico. Um, oh, actually, I got Rolfed first because that was a new thing in town was to come and get Rolfed, which is a, um, a fascia de-armoring technique. And we'll talk about that later when we talk about the patterns. But So I got Rolfed, went to Mexico and met a Wacero, a bone man. And he did amazing things. He set broken bones. He um, just did all these kinds of healing techniques. He was a weaver by trade, but he had his little office and people came to him because doctors tended to amputate at that point. And they would come and he would just use these techniques and cupping and all of these things and do astounding things. I studied with him for six months. Um, I didn't speak Spanish. He didn't speak English. He gave me the book. I translated the book, took me a couple of months with my little dictionary, learned that he was illiterate and nothing he did was in the book. I did my right. thesis on him. That's how I got out of college. And I was hooked. Hook, line, and sinker. I, it was like, this is what I want to do. So I went to, graduated, did that, came out to California, felt compelled to come out to California, and met another body worker named Lauren Berry, who, again, did amazing things. Um, miracles all the time, right? So, but he would do things he wouldn't talk about. He was doing things with energy that he wouldn't talk about. And because he didn't want his work mixed up with psychic phenomena and dismissed. So he simply wouldn't mention. 
Well, that was a problem because you could feel that there were things going on that he wouldn't talk about. Uh, and then someone came into my office. I was doing massage. Then they said, ooh, you have colors coming out of your hands and ooh, you're doing this and ooh, you're doing that. And I said, okay, we're doing that because I don't like anybody knowing things about me that I don't know. And I wanted to know. So he said, well, I go to psychic school in Berkeley. Well, that was across the bay. So I went to psychic school in Berkeley um, for a year and then did an offshoot called Heart Song and ended up doing their programs and teaching there for about six years. And I learned to read energy or to notice um, energy. And then studying with Lauren, I could watch what he was doing and perceive what he was doing. So that was the best. What was he doing? Yeah, what did you see? It's perceive is a better word because you can't, I'm not that visual. So some people, the spirit comes in, they look this way and they sit down and it talks to you. I'm not that kind of perceptive being. But what I could feel, because I'm kinesthetic, is the energy movement from his hands to other people's bodies and how that permeated the space and how the energy actually was a part of the treatment. Right. So feeling that and understanding that was um, a basis. In fact, if you want to, we can do it right now. Yeah, sure. Take your hands and imagine that you're just playing with an energy ball. In fact, let's do this first. Warm up your hands and just get them activated. And then play and just move them back and forth. Yeah. And all of a sudden, if you attend, it'll start feeling thicker. Yeah. Yeah. I can totally feel that. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes warmer, sometimes a little buzzy. Yeah. Yeah. It's very distinct. Yeah. Like I can. Yeah. So it's a pressure. The pressure, the all of those kinds of things. Yeah. Yeah. And if you ever study Qigong or um, Tai Chi, I mean, that's the energy you're using and moving it through and creating the different things. Um, I had a uh, Qigong teacher who, for an hour while he was lecturing, did this in front of his body. And by the time he was done, the energy he had made between his hands was so palpable. But he didn't say a word. He just did it. It was way cool. <laughs> uh, nice. So, you, yeah, so you start, you're on this journey of learning to perceive energy. I'm just curious if, yeah, there were other teachers you learned from, there were other steps in that journey? Um, there were. I did, one of my bodywork colleagues was a seminarian. He'd been in the Catholic seminary, Roman Catholic seminary for like nine years. And he introduced me to Christian mysticism and ceremony. And he would take us to Wilbur Hot Springs. We would, on Easter, we would do um, a Seder the night before. He would stay up all night, an all-night vigil, take us in the morning and baptize us in the baths. It was just a wonderful introduction to ceremony. And he assigned me, um, as a way of learning things, to go watch Um, Catholic Mass in San Francisco. 
So I did. I watched different churches. I watched things. And two that really stand out was one church. The, there were two priests. One was senile and the other was, you know, the interaction person who interacted with the congregation. And I watched how the energy was being transmitted because it's a very um, precise transmission of energy through that form. And there's a book about it, which is way cool. And the one with the senile priest, much better juice. His, so I took communion from him. <laughs> it was the best. And then I went to an Episcopalian church, obviously with a beloved minister. I mean, he was one with his congregation. He was beloved. He was clearly in communion. He went to do the Eucharist and nothing happened. The chi didn't flow. The divine energy didn't come down and infuse the host. And it was like, whoa, he doesn't know how. Nobody taught him. Oh, that's incredible because I would imagine, you know, in more like Taoist or uh, Qigong related oh. lineages where people might uh, consciously learn to transmit, to conduct and transmit that, that energy. But in Christian mysticism, like, do you think these, uh, these two priests were consciously conducting that energy, you know, the channeling that energy? Well, certainly the priest who was senile knew how to do it and had done it for all of his life and was imbued in the practice. So for however he learned it, he had it. And for whatever reason, the Episcopalian priest didn't get that understanding. Yeah. And I know we're going to talk a lot about the, how you teach people to work with energy, but I'm curious if you could speak about how, how do we open to, you know, because I think a lot of people are interested these days in not just teaching something, speaking about something, but transmitting the essence of that very thing they're talking about. Yeah. How, how, how can we do that? Well, the first thing is one has to learn to hold oneself. We are an electric magnetic field. Um, it's really important that we have the skill sets to notice, attend to, and monitor, manage our own electric magnetic field. Um, in class, we learn five attentions because energy follows attention. And with and every energetic practice trains your attention. Your attention is what moves energy. So training your attention is critical and important, but holding one's own self, holding one's energy, there's five attentions that I call basics. Um, one is attention to center, core. The other is connection to the earth, ground. The other next is clear space, meaning I am the only energy in my space. No one else. I'm a single family person residence, not a condominium. I have an edge, which means I notice my auric edge, because the edge exists. What we're talking about is noticing. And I have attention on my chakras, my tool sets. So those are five basic attentions which help one manage, navigate one's instrument within the world, noticing how this instrument functions energetically. And... I think is the first important fundamental for everyone to learn. Right. 
Yeah. And I, before we dive into those, I'm just wondering if you learn to work with those basics, would that then, in a sense, you would create a cleaner frequency of energy that yeah. then would allow for a purer connection to something to move through rather than I'm imagining there's a lot of static or disruption in a lot of people. Yes, absolutely. Because when one holds oneself and does the work to clear one's instrument, because they're both important, then one has a clearer capacity to receive information and transmit it. Yeah. Yeah. And what, what's that like for you when you're receiving that information? How does it, how does it show up? You know, like, usually just like a knowing? Or, yeah. Well, it's been a lot of time. I mean, I've got 40 years in. So we've had a long time to develop this relationship. Um, for me, it's an inner dialogue, literally. I know what my voice sounds like. And when something comes in from the larger resourced circle that I've engaged, it sounds different. And it feels different. So it's more like this other voice comes in and has information for me to attend to. In the beginning, it was very subtle. And now it's just obvious, but everything's subtle in the beginning when you start attending to it. Yeah. In my bodywork practice, there was a time when they were saying, okay, now feel the left vein behind the heart. And I'm going, right, that's impossible. Nobody can feel the left vein behind the heart with their hands. Well, I spent a whole day telling myself it was impossible. And then I decided that that was a bad idea. And then I put attention on it. And with attention, yes, one can feel the left vein behind the heart with one's hand. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. So, so you said that about the attention being important. And before we, I want to ask you about these five basic practices a bit more, but would you say that is, you know, if, if I'm imagining this is true that in the West, we actually haven't given energy much kind of uh, credence. Uh -huh. It's not something we put, we've not put our attention on that. So actually, you know, they're opening to this idea that energy, we are made of energy and it's all around us and we can actually begin to attune to it, that's a basic first step. Yeah, is yes. There is a wonderful book called Energetics. I got to read the title because it's long. Energy Medicine in Therapeutics and Human Performance. Energy Medicine in Therapeutics and Human Performance by James Oshman. And he, you know, a man from science, um, started noticing energy and he applied his background to noticing. So it's fun. It's noticing it in our paradigm. And, and do you feel that there is a, a burgeoning interest in people uh, exploring energy, working with it, uh, opening, you know, beginning to perceive it and the scientific community, I think you said at the start, the scientific community recognizing it more. Yes, it's, well, the, the amount of books that are available, in the 80s, there were very few. Now there's hundreds that are talking about energy and chi and how it works and in what form, and it's just fun. Yeah. yeah. 
should we talk about these basic practices a little bit? I'd love to talk more about what you're teaching in in the classes that you do. And I mean, maybe you could just share about why, how did you come to these five basic practices? I imagine there's a very strong reason to you teaching those. Um, how I came to them was is that we were taught them in the psychic school. Because in order to read energy and to interact with energy, you need to be able to hold yourself. Um, I was told that they came from the Rosicrucians. Um, I haven't verified that, so I don't know. Um, but um, let's just run through the first two, and then you'll get a felt sense, and then we can talk about it. All right? Yeah. So feet on the floor. Yeah. And then please attend to your spine. So your spine is actually very hefty pieces of bone. They're huge. Two to three inches front to back in your neck, two to three inches side to side. Yeah, there you go. Side to side. Attend to your spine. It includes the base of your skull down through your neck, through your torso. Yeah, remember they get bigger as they go down. Yep, down into your abdomen. To your sacrum, that triangle bone at the base. Good. When you attend to the bones of your spine, you are centered in your body. And what we're talking about is attention, because bones live in the center of your body. But your attention is now centered in your torso. Extend your awareness around your pelvic pole through the bones there. Yep, there you go. And then down your legs through the bones there. Yep, through your lower legs into your feet. Good. When you're attending to the bones of your legs, you are centered in each of your legs. Centered in your spine, torso, centered in your legs. If you attend to where your rib cage meets your spine in the back, yep, come around your rib cage to the front, up the front, your sternum, to your collarbones, your clavicles and down your arms. You've just traced the bony connection of your spine to your arms. And as you attend to your bones of your arms, the upper arms, elbows, forearms, wrists, and hands, there you go. Now you're centered in your arms, centered in your legs, centered in your body, your torso, and you have become centered. If you add attention to the essence of who you are, which made your body, so it's always in your body, but we can, we don't, yeah, there you go. In those bones, essence into bones. Nice. You now have core, backbone, and our center. Cool. We'll do one more. So imagine that from your sacrum, that bottom triangle bone at your end of your spine, you have a root. 
going all the way down to the center of the earth. It's very fast growing, permeates everything. And when you get down to the center of the earth, which is actually an iron crystal core, that warm, nourishing heart of the earth, find something to anchor. I like the image of boulders myself. Whatever you like is just fine. Good. Then find, then create, also imagine from each of your feet, similar roots. They go all the way down to the center of the earth. Again, anchoring into that warm, nourishing heart of the earth. And then receiving your birthright, earth energy. Everybody on earth gets to have earth energy to make a body. Your essence engages earth energy and creates your form, your body. So bring that earth energy up through those roots, into your feet, your ankles, your lower legs, your knees, into your thighs, just receiving, flowing up through the earth, into your pelvis. Directly into your pelvis through your sacrum. It flows easily through your back. Around your core. Through all the soft stuff in the middle. Pelvic viscera, digestive organs, heart and lungs, blood vessels, lymph, all that good stuff. Not forgetting your diaphragm. You don't want to leave that out. Every cell of your body nourished, supported, and sustained with earth energy. Comes into your front, up into your shoulders, down your arms, elbows, forearms, wrists, and hands. And into your neck. In your head. Every cell of your body nourished, supported, and sustained with earth energy. Your essence engages earth energy and creates your body, your form. And we are gifted earth energy. Our birthright. Thank you, earth. Yeah. (laughs) Lovely. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah. Yeah, I'm struck by how something like centering on the bones in the body has a kind of simultaneous uh, like density to it, but also energy. That's a good word. You know, like I can feel the energy or the felt sense of centering in that sense of feeling really here and substantial and present and centered 
again, mm-hmm. it's difficult to sense it is a really good word for it. And then to feel also the, the, the nourishment, the deep nourishment of, of the earth energy coming up into my body and to feel that sense of being rooted here on earth. Mm-hmm. Uh, very grounding and refreshing, nour- nourishing. That's mm-hmm. a good word. Yeah, and to feel yeah to feel it on a an energetic level. I like that word because you know, like I, I like working with the body in coaching, and often you might use the word felt sense, uh, which I think is like a halfway step. But like energy feels like uh, it allows for a different quality of the felt sense of energy to come forward. Like it's rich, rich, it's richer and kind of sense more sacred. Yes. Yeah. And I'm curious, why, 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 well, actually, this is the one question. So from the way you guided it there, would that be then enough for me to be able to go away and practice that? Oh, yes. That. Yeah, and then you just you experience. Yeah, yeah, great, great. And what? Why would someone do it? Because when one is centered and grounded, and those words are common actually in our culture and becoming more common, one handles oneself better in the world. I become less triggered. I'm more easily stay within my own framework. I can stay calm. And if you wanted to use the term in ventral vagal connection more easily, um, basics, the presence practice I use keeps one in ventral vagal connection. So if you're coaching and you need that connection interface, being able to hold oneself in that place no matter what's happening over on the other side, is so critical. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. And, um, well, actually, just asking you about the other practices, you know, the edge, I think you said one is like clear space. Uh, Sorry, a clear space and then edge and then working with the chakras. Are they all oriented to doing the same thing of uh, allowing one to, to remain kind of centered and Absolutely. clear? Absolutely. Your yeah. chakras are your tool system. Yeah. So seven energy centers along the spine. Um, most people agree where they are. There's some disagreement in the literature. And they have a physiological representation, nerve centers along the spine that you can see that correspond to the energetic centers. And they're your tool section. Each of the chakras handles a different um, perceptual capacity and interface. So that's important. And you don't want to be, most people use one or two as their primary and then leave out the others. And that, that creates us as a one-trick pony. I've only got one trick or two tricks up my sleeve. Instead of using our full range, Right. Capacity. 
Could you give an example of, of that? You know, I'm thinking of myself here where I've had to work more on, um, you know, survive, so a kind of survival or feeling, feeling rooted on the earth, you know, feeling safe and rooted. So like really like felt like lower chakra. Yeah. And feeling, feeling safe and rooted is your first chakra. It's at the base of your spine. Um, it corresponds to the impar ganglion in your body, the lowest single ganglion of the sympathetic nervous chain, pelvic floor. And when you have attention there and connection to the earth, then one starts to feel safe in a body and rooted and able to engage earthly plane kinds of things. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what you're saying is like some people have like a home base, you know, with certain chakras that came online perhaps as they were growing up and other ones, which through, you know, maybe uh, difficult experiences with their families or in the world, they weren't able to fully flourish. Is that, is that the right way of looking at chakras? Or is it, that's, yeah. that's one way of looking at it. And it's true. But we also have propensities in families. Uh, we learn from our parents because of what they do. So my mother was very strong in felt sense. And I learned my body to her body to also be strong in felt sense. Second chakra function. You know? yeah. So if you have somebody who's very visual and communicates to you through pictures as a child, you're probably going to start attending to the visuals that you receive. So different chakras get activated by experience, not necessarily because of trauma. Yeah. Yeah, nice, nice. And, and therefore, how, how would you work with chakras in the way you work? Like what practice, what practice do you have there? I have, a, again, a basic practice. I remember, I teach fundamentals. So, so I'm drilling fundamentals of practice. And a basic chakra practice is attention on each of the chakras. And we use a couple of them. And that attention on the chakras and simply moving energy in and out from the earth into the chakras and down is one of them. One trains your attention. Two, activates the chakras. Three, starts you learning that I can take energy in and I can send excess energy out when overloaded. Yeah. So some fundamental understandings of what one can do with one's system. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and actually... Um... You also work with the Reikian patterns as well, I think, in, in your work. And uh, you have a history of being a body worker as well. Could you explain what they are and why they're important in energy work as well? Maybe you could say who Reik was as well. Yeah, I'll, I'll define. So Reich was a psychotherapist. He studied with Freud. And they probably didn't call it that then, but he studied with Freud. But he got interested in the body. And he got interested in what happens when people move life force energy in their body using breathing practices. And he noticed when he did that, that there were restrictions in the body fashion. 
And they, so he noticed them as patterns. You could call them body habits of attention. So basics, presence, polyvagal ventral connection is one. As soon as you go into fear, fight or flight, and dorsal vagal shutdown, all of a sudden these patterns start to become observed in the body. And they respond to increased energy, which is why I use them. So when you increase the energy in your system, we have these habits of engaging the energy and trying to work with it. He noticed five of them. And in the literature, they're called um, schizoid pattern, oral pattern, and there's an adjunct to oral pattern called compensated oral, masochist pattern, psychopath pattern, and rigid pattern. There's a book called The Five Personality Patterns. Um, the names have been changed because <laughs> so many of them are not complementary. Yeah, exactly. I was about to say, you know, psycho yeah. psychopath has yes. a strong content. Yeah. So Stephen Kessler wrote a book called The Five Personality Patterns. It's a, a lovely rendition of the patterns and gives a lot of background, mm. how they work and that. But to remember their body habits of attention, they're embedded in the fashion. So dearmoring techniques, which is what Reich called his work, um, and it's what Rolfing does, it's what biodynamic breathwork does. I was so excited to find Geetan Tonkov in biodynamic breathwork because all the Reichian therapists are dying out, right? They're in their 80s and 70s and they keep dying. And I was going, where, what's going to happen to this work? And then I found Geetan Tonkov and it's like, oh, there it is, alive and well. Yeah, yeah. And it's, um, so because they're embedded in the fascia, when energy comes at us, we tend to organize around that energy in certain ways. And these ways are, its pattern tends to notice and leave. I'm out of here. Oral pattern tends to not be, so they're loosely developmental. You don't armor them developmentally, but the patterns are developmental. So skits pattern, very young, can't quite um, engage in a body yet. Energy comes out, I can't hold it, I fragment them out. Oral pattern, further along the developmental framework, into six months, three years, something like that. Energy comes, and I have a self, I'm in my body, but I can't hold myself in relationship to energy, so I lose self, and I puddle and collapse. I can't organize myself in the face of energy. A masochist pattern, further along, two-year-old, um, I have a self, I can orient to myself, energy comes at me, but I can't maintain a boundary. So I, instead of maintain a boundary, contract inward into self, turtling, just like a turtle, until I can't stand it anymore, and then I explode and reclaim my space, but that's not negotiating a boundary. <laughs> then psychopath pattern, um, energy comes out, they escalate and throw it back out. 
So they rev in response to energy. And rigid pattern contains in response to energy. They organize it, contain it, they work with it that way. And all those are body habits and they're reactive and they happen faster than we can think. So the work that I do is not about studying the patterns. There's lots of literature on the patterns. Um, you can find it. Barbara Brennan has work on the patterns. Um, Stephen M. Johnson has books on the patterns. You find them, right? But the important part is to notice I am going into pattern. What does that look like? And how do I come back into presence? Right? So we study the patterns to notice, oops, just got triggered. I'm in pattern. Now what? How do I come back to presence? Yeah. Yeah. And so I imagine, yeah, you can begin to, with the distinctions you're making, recognize which patterns are the ones that I take yeah. on because I can feel it in my body. There's a, the armoring kicks in in certain way and I can feel energetically. And that's what I wanted to ask right. you. Maybe I could feel energetically that I leave or. Absolutely. I, yeah. And do, is it important for you in your work that, you know, is, is it basically about recognizing when the pattern comes in and then shifting back? Or is there a, also a, um, a process of um, healing the pattern or, you know, integration of the pattern so it doesn't come up as much? Well, the thing is, is that you have to establish a refuge first. So we don't work with healing the patterns in the beginning. We work with establishing five attentions that are a refuge in your body. Because the patterns serve a psychological function. They're body-oriented, but they are protective. And you don't want to start taking that apart until you have a place to go, which is really important. So basics is first. We notice the patterns. And after you have a good sense of basics and a good sense of other therapeutic techniques, then you can start dismantling the patterns. Yeah. And Reikian work is about that. So, you know, I did two years of Reikian work plus many other workshops. It was phenomenal work. Um, and it truly helped me clear my instrument from unmetabolized experience, which often is the word now for trauma, unmetabolized experience. And is just because this instrument is so incredible and to have it garbaged up with stored experience that's unmetabolized, it makes it less useful. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense in that if we don't have that home base, then, um, you know, we, we um, don't have a place to be to be with that material from, you know, we're, we're going to be kind of caught inside of it and maybe even reinforcing it through other patterns that don't like, you know, I don't like that pattern. So I'm going to you know, we're at war with ourselves in some way. Yes, absolutely. And that's why basics is so important. Um, the other thing to notice is about the patterns is, is that they're actually fields, energetic fields attached to the attention of the patterns. And they're very different. We tend to have two patterns, a primary and a secondary. We are not our patterns. That's really important. 
And in class, we look at the or attend to get a felt sense of the different fields of attention of the different patterns. Because if you have a field of attention that tends to be earth-based, maskless pattern, and you're talking to a field of attention that is not earth-based, skits pattern, you may completely miss each other. You, you don't share the same wavelengths. So learning and being exposed to that difference and starting to reference, oh, I might need to shift my attention to talk to where this person lives is really helpful. That's really interesting. Yeah, yeah. So you can actually build a sort of skillful relational capacity, which is way beyond verbal in terms of how you can meet somebody in a way that they can really hear you, be with you. Yes. Yeah. And that's so valuable in coaching. Yeah. Because we generally attend to what we know and we don't really perceive if it's outside our reference. Mm. How, how would you know, for example, if you took one of those patterns, what, what would you start to perceive in somebody if you were with, you know, the schizoid or the oral, for example? The first thing I notice is where is their attention? Right. And, you know, skits pattern tends to be airwaves and masters of airwaves, often visionaries, um, really competent, artistic, they have facility there. Oral pattern is relational. And coaches are often of the relational capacity. Um, mask is pattern, very underground. And often they are in the background. They ground a community. They ground a business. They ground a school. And they're usually not in the front. They don't like being in the front. Mm. Uh, but if they go away, everything falls apart. Um, psychopath pattern is usually high rev, high energy, um, always looking for the next adventure. They often break barriers because rules are for other people. And just because you said, I can't do it, doesn't mean it's not possible. So they're often in the forefront of new things. And... Um, things that are declared impossible. And they, so I didn't realize. Yeah, I go ahead. The last yeah. one, rigid pattern yeah. organizes, contains, and collates. Our buildings would fall down without rigid pattern. Um, music is often people who have rigid pattern because they can keep time and keep organized to the def- you know, the, the references and the um, differences in tones and musical notes and things. So all of the organizational capacity of rigid is critical to how we work. Okay. No, it's really, I actually didn't fully grasp that there's actually a a beautiful wisdom inside Uh each of these patterns that we're discussing. And and I don't know if this speaks to you, but it's almost like I hear a kind of tantric element to the practice of, of, um, well, maybe the genius of these patterns is always manifesting, even if people are, um, you know, still bound by the 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 you know the the kind of uh, the yes. actual embodied shaping of that pattern. Um, but I'm imagining that um, as we learn to work with it, you know, to actually um, 
healed that pattern that something can be liberated even more or maybe we we start to access different parts of ourselves that we we didn't have before and in that sense you know in like buddhist tantric practice often emotions you know will have um a kind of wisdom quality or uh, an enlightened quality uh, inside of them if you can be with them in a particular way and that, that that enlightened quality can begin to manifest, and I don't know if that's the same kind of thing here. If, yeah, um, the answer is yes. Um, just like in the tantric practice, being with the unmetabolized material, often expressed through emotions, allows the body to metabolize, digest the material, so then it becomes no longer in storage, but wisdom, knowledge integrated, digested, part of the system. The patterns have their often things that happened, either through just direct learning or sometimes through trauma, that need metabolizing. But when you start exploring the patterns, one, you learn more of what you already know and in some ways get permission to do what you already do, which is very exciting. And then you learn, oh, my goodness, look what I don't know. Look at this attention that I don't even have in my reference. Look at this other attention that I don't even have. And when you're putting together a company, oh, my God, you don't, you want your visionaries. You want your grounded, practical persons. You want your, the folks with the capacity to organize and put it into practical form. You want your, the persons that you need to initiate and move out and break barriers and, you know, do that kind of work you need. And you want your relational people because otherwise that would fall apart. So all of these uh, capacity for attentions, you need all of them. And ideally we develop an understanding and more of them for ourselves and recognize and um, honor the talents that others have. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah, that's powerful. Um, and and are you teaching? I know you're doing uh, trainings with Mobius mm-hmm. and, um, you know, who, who are doing leadership development around the world in companies. And they, they bring together a lot of facilitators and coaches and practitioners around this type of work. And you, you, you train some of their practitioners. Is this the type of thing you're teaching their facilitators to do, to work with? Yes. Um, you know, the, I teach fundamentals. So we have the basic concepts of holding energy. We have the other concepts of how does one hold a space larger than oneself, but that's in the material. We have the patterns to start noticing and working with. And all of that is in the first 10-day course that I teach with Mobius. And then there are subsequent five-day courses which um, embellish is not the right word, but move forward on the material. Like build, build on the material. On the yeah. Material. yeah. And you mentioned you teach uh, facilitators how to hold a larger space. Uh-huh. What could you talk about that? Because that, that's, yeah. Yeah. That's so a larger resource space that holds, contains a space um, is a fundamental tool for I think everybody. (laughs) And there are many ways to hold a space. There's many different forms of holding a space. 
They're usually done with attention and support from the outside non-visible framework, whatever it is that you engage. And a, a container or a larger space holding is a thought form created with attention that makes a conference call for support. What do you mean by that? Yeah, go ahead. For support. So if I use the framework of the 20 count, which is a way of building 20 field engagements of support around a space, well, in that is grandfather sun, grandmother earth, plants, animals, humans. So those are all fields of awareness that are now engaged in a conference call specifically for the purpose of why I've called them there. Yeah. Right? And sacred ancestors, sacred dreams. So all of the elements, these, there are 2021 fields that this conference call structure has engaged to support whatever it is that I'm working with or anybody who uses it is working with. Right. Yeah. Common ways of holding a space, four directions, five, four directions in the center, seven, four directions, center, above and below. Those are very common. We talked earlier about Christian mysticism and the way the um, Catholic Mass, the energy of the Catholic Mass moves. There's a book called Science of the Sacraments by C.W. Leadbeater, and he describes all that. He was clairvoyant. He watched the Mass happening, watched what the priests did, watched what the spirits did, the angels did, and how the thought form that was created to channel the energy of the Mass for the congregation. And even more cool. So the Masons did all of that, non-secular, I mean, secular, non-religious, but they worked, they do work with energy. And our um, United States Capitol was built by the Masons, and it is built on energetic holding that the Masons put into the buildings. And there's a book called um, The Lost Symbol by Dan Brown which talks about the whole thing. It's a murder mystery. You don't get the last clue till the end. So you're not given it the way Science of the Sacraments lays it out. But it's all there. Mm -hmm. And if you watched it holding Obama's first inauguration, you could feel it. That 4 million people on that avenue, and they were held. It was impressive. Yeah. And uh, held by the energetics, and, yeah. And who who was um, uh, and who was creating that? Was that was it was Obama. created? No, it was created by the Masons. It was Masons. there to be yeah. used. Yeah, it was embedded in the buildings of the Capitol. Yeah, amazing. I mean, I think uh, you know, I've, I've previous guests on the podcast. We've talked about this: the need for in the West for us to recognize our own wisdom traditions, our own esoteric traditions that, you know, I think often went into hiding because of persecution, mainstream persecution basically. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, a lot of us have gravitated towards the Eastern wisdom oh. traditions, but there's an uh, indigeneity of our own, you know, esoteric indigenous wisdom traditions, which, um, yeah, I don't know if you feel that they are becoming more open, you know, because growing up, I, the Masons was always, I just, for me, just this like secretive 
mm-hmm. you know, organization, which, you know, was about helping each other succeed in society, but we just didn't know anything about it, you know? Right. And I don't know how much the Masons are becoming more open, um, but I do know that the lost symbol talks about how that whole thing was structured. And one last, oh, no, I can't do it because it'll ruin the book. Never mind. <laughs> good for you. Good for you. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Spoiler yes, alert. I, well, I'm not going to do that. Too good. But, but um, just coming back to the space holding, and you talked about these 21 thought forms which represent these fields. So it, are you are you basically then training people to, when they are, for example, guiding, you know, um, a group of people for three days over a weekend, that they can actually intentionally begin to activate those different fields, you know? And, and I'm just yes, curious, so what, what is the practice doing, there? What they're doing is, is they're building a structure, a thought form, mm-hmm which is a container that engages these intelligent fields. Yeah. So, yes, I'm teaching people how to do that. And people can use any form that works for them. These We're talking principles, not this. In other words, I'm using a particular structure, but I don't care if anybody uses that. I do care that they understand the principles of how it works. Because once they understand the principles, then they can apply those to any structure that they would like. Yeah, and I'm just thinking, some you know, is this something I could do with my one-on-one coaching client tomorrow? Oh, absolutely. You know, and what might I do? You know, like in, to begin to practice this. Could I? And I, I know, I'm in a way, you you know, it's like you need to go and learn about it through the training. But even just bringing well, just, to mind, yeah, what we could do right now. I mean, the four directions is a very simple container, profound but simple, easy to reference. So, where's your east? Uh, my east is uh, kind of like over this there. way. Okay. Yeah. Close enough. That way. Yeah. So now you know like where this. east is. So you know where yeah. west is. Yeah. And south. Yeah. And north. Okay. So there's already the start of your structure. And then that's the form of your structure, four directions. Now you have to enliven your structure with spirit. So if you attend to the east and you are centered, you're in the middle. If you, yep, think, if you attend to the east and you say, I call in the spirits of the east, new beginnings where the sun rises. Can you feel that enlivening of the structure? I can. I can. Yeah. 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 And then you would call in the spirits of the south the spirits of heart, of warmth, of family, of, in- yeah, there you go. Then you would yeah. call in the spirits of the West, the spirits of where the sun sets, death, transformation, understanding of that process of life, death that creates new beginnings. Yeah. Then you go to the north. In the north, we call on the spirits of the north, the wisdom keepers, the place of mind, the place of cold and understanding. And if we've gone around the circle, it's the elder place of life. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. So now you have these intelligences 
that are supporting you in what you have come here to do. Yeah. You would put your container in your walls of your room, or if you're on a property, the edges of the property. Yeah. And when you're done, and you tell me when we're done, then you thank them and release them. You don't leave them up. Because you called mm. on their attention. It's polite to release their attention. I'm going to do that now. Okay. So thank you. Releasing you in gratitude. Yeah. 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 I'm also struck by how, how much, how could I put this? Uh, there's a kind of depth and uh, enlivening and meaning that comes with this energetic work. I know we've just been playing around with it, but, um, you know, as I, as I, uh, my own uh, practice a few years ago started to engage with, um, the natural world and mm-hmm. the, the you know how, how the natural world was in, living and and it had a, a wisdom and intelligence to it and I was part of that not separate from it it brought yes. a, it brought a, um, a a poetry and mm-hmm. artistic sense to to living as, you know that that feels like it's needed in times where we've lived it's, it's just been so materialistic you know and kind of cartesian mechanistic worldview of scientific enlightenment killed the sacred that's right throughout yeah. any kind of energy yeah process. and we are part of that energy we're not divorced from it we are one of the elements of life and aliveness and to assume that our world is the only world is missing the whole community of life Yeah. And so the answer to your question is yes. <laughs> and do, what 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 motivates you to bring this work into the world? What moves you to do that? This work helps everybody become more of who they came here to become. This work helps everybody become more of themselves, to bring their gifts into the world, and make the world a richer and better place. And is your mission to, you know, do you have a sense of where you're heading to with this work? Like, would you? Yeah. I'm not heading anywhere. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That didn't. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I offer these, this work into, (laughs) um, into the world as a gift from the everything. I'm simply a portal. There's many of us. And I have my own unique perspective based on my own unique life. And um, Amy has found it a valuable perspective for her coaches. So we offer it. Yeah. And Amy being, just to name people listening, the founder of Mobius, along with his sister. Um, Well, there's one question I have um, about the masculine and feminine that I didn't ask you yet, which has been um, something that I wanted to bring in, which is how those are relevant in energy work. So we are an electromagnetic field. 
we're a battery. And like any battery, we have poles to our system. The masculine feminine are principles. We get them caught up in um, stereotypes and societal concepts and all of that, but fundamentally they're principles. They're yin, they're yang. And that's a receptive principle and an active principle. And our bodies as batteries have an active pole and a receptive pole. Women's bodies tend to be receptive in the pelvis and outgoing, active in the chest. Men's bodies are reversed. So it's not about gender roles. It's not about any of that. It's simply about this is your instrument. Where with your attention can you access this quality of energy? We know from Carl Jung that everybody has both qualities of energy and access to both gives us a fully functional human being, a fully functional body. And where in your body can you access that quality of energy and then amplify it and use it where appropriate? And uh, Yeah, that's really interesting to me as a practice. Would that be, you know, you said that men often, I think, are receptive in the heart and active in the pelvis and women the other way around. Is that the way we would practice bringing our attention to that or would yeah. it be more inquiry-based, like, oh, no, just no, no. maybe, yeah. <laughs> inquiry-based puts you up in your head, and then you have lots of thoughts that don't mean anything, and then you can't do anything. Yeah. So it, it's always body-based. But I mean, I mean my, an inquiry into that, oh, like, where do I feel, where do I feel my, my energy in my body? Yeah, well, you can. Yeah. But if you attend to your heart, and remember, there's so many things that are happening in your body, because I can attend to my heart chakra, I can attend to my heart space, I can attend, you know, so there's different paradigms that function depending on what you're attending to. So without a reference to what you're looking for, you might miss it because there's so many things there. So if you attend... um, We could do it this way. It's a little backwards for you, but we'll do it hard first. If you soften into the realm of your heart. Yeah, there you go. That soft, feeling, receptive place that often has no words, harder to talk about. Yeah, that's it. And the interesting thing is John Gray, who wrote Mars are one. Men are from Mars. Women are from Venus. He he talks about this in social language, but he knows the polarities. So he talks about men listening or men being receptive. Yeah, like that. Just like that. So there's your felt sense of that quality of energy you have access to. It's really beautiful, actually. And there's a kind of uh, receptivity is the right word and s- sweetness as well. There's a kind of very soft, sweet. very soft sweetness. Yeah. It's very moving, actually. Yeah, it's to, a lovely. To receive. Yeah, I'm quite, quite moved, actually, quite emotional. From- yeah. 
I'm feeling that. Yeah. And women have that same energy in our pelvises. Mm. It doesn't live in our heart space, in our chest space. It lives in our pelvis space. And so for us to access that energy, we drop into our foundation and feel it there. Mm. Men in their foundation are more active. Think men on a job site. Mm. Moving their bodies and the kind of energy that lives there. It's active. It makes things happen. It's generative. It moves. Women tend to do it in the emotional space. Mothering is doing. Mm-hmm. Pregnancy is being. So being, receptive, gestating, all of that pelvic energy. By the time it gets to mothering, we're nursing our babies, we're doing, we're making things happen, all of that. And the interesting thing is, is that my heart space is doing, your heart space is being, and if I don't know that, I can move into your heart space without recognizing that it's privileged and by invitation only. Yeah. Right? Because that's not the way this runs for me. It is the way my pelvis runs. And we are starting to learn as a culture that that's by its privileged space and by invitation only. Yeah. I feel like it's it's really good, you know, particularly with the Me Too movement, all the, you know, uh, the way the shadow around mm-hmm. when men in particular have abused that uh, their, their power in that sense. Um, but like the other way around, uh, I actually feel like that's really important and maybe lesser. It's not it's not moved into the public realm as much. Right. It's less known. Yeah. Yeah, and equally important. Yeah. And it's simply energetic hmm. based on the fact that our bodies are batteries. So is there anything we haven't named that you think is really important to name about being energetic beings in an energetic world? I think the mo- we've talked about it a little, but the most important part is It's all about awareness. It's all about attention. It's all about increasing our capacity to notice and attend. It's about paying attention to this instrument, clearing it of unmetabolized experience, learning to manage it with attention and hold the space that we live in, our bodies. It's just like driving a car. We're simply driving this vehicle. And those are skill sets, and they're skill sets that we're not normally trained to notice. So learning these skill sets is a critical piece of our education that our society doesn't help us with. And I think they're becoming essential skill sets somehow in these times, it feels. Maybe they always have been, but with the stability of the world changing, you know, it feels like we're in a period of flux more that, you know, uh, and, and, and um, energy seems to be more important. Like I see it being named as a, 
currency in coaching, you know, like mm-hmm. as a transformational currency in coaching. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that's partly because of the evolution of the planet in terms of just where we're at collectively, mm-hmm. um, like the, the shift in worldview we're going through. Um, it's part, partly, I mean, people being disenfranchised with, with a materialistic paradigm, but things like AI coming in, you know, which will start to replicate a lot of um, procedural coaching or facilitation, uh, you know, three-step processes and so on. And that actually um, energetic work is uh, critical. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, a lovely book called The Secret Teachings of Plants by Stephen Buhner. On page 108, he talks about the nuanced facility of a body-to-body communication. And that's not something that AI can replicate. So even in our time together, it's been nuanced between our bodies and our attention has shifted depending on the difference of how our energy was working. And without that attention to that nuance, we could have overrun each other, we could have plowed through, we could have not could have attended to structure, not nuance. And that's something that AI can't replicate. So this attention to the energetic nuance of energy and interplay between people and how we work is something that is uniquely human. And actually, I, I feel uh, the, the energy of our interaction uh, as we as we have this conversation, you know, like you can feel, I, I can feel a, a kind of energetic exchange and movement back and forth, and um, uh, yeah, a kind of certain um, delicacy or uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, but like the taste, the yeah. taste of that energy and. Um, there's a, you know, again, I come back to the meaning in that the fulfill, the fulfillingness of feeling this experience. So I'm really grateful that we had this time to have this conversation, Linda. Yeah, it was wonderful. I, I so enjoyed it. <laughs> Maybe this, this will be the only ever podcast you do in your life. Maybe it's just <laughs> the beginning of a new podcast career for you. Um, I, I somehow actually hope that it's not the last one you ever do um, because I, I feel like, um, you know, there's a whole, there's probably, we could probably speak for you know, two or three, four hours on this topic. But um, yeah, thank you so much, Linda. Oh, yeah. you're so welcome. It's been a pleasure. And we want to say if people want to train with you, head to Mobius, uh, mm-hmm. head to their website. Yeah. And they can find out the trainings, these 10-day trainings. Yes, they can. Um, the email address is npi at mobius.com. And they can find the information there. Here we are. We're at the end of the podcast. Just a, a heads up again. If you're not on our mailing list and you want to stay in the loop about other things we create, then head to coachesrising.com. Put your name in the sign-up box there. You'll also find some of our other offerings, our online trainings for coaches there. And just want to end by wishing you well, and I'll see you again next time. Mm-hmm.